Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 67 to 80. Zechariah's song. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hands of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness, righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit And he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Well, today we're in week three of our Christmas series on the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapters one and two. And if you've been here for the last few weeks, you will know that our series is called All Things Are Possible. Uh, But as I was preparing a, a few weeks ago for this series, I almost named it something else. I almost named it two births and two songs, because in these two chapters, that's basically what we see, two miraculous births and two beautiful songs. We see John the Baptist, born from the womb of a barren woman, and we see Jesus Christ, born from the womb of a virgin, but in the midst of the passage, we see these two beautiful songs. Last week, David Griffiths preached on Mary's song, and today we're looking at the song of Zechariah. Now, Mary's song was based on the prayer of Hannah. And the Psalms, but Zechariah's song, as you would have seen in the reading today, is based on the Old Testament prophets. Now, I love that both Mary and Zechariah were both so grateful to God and so impacted by his faithfulness and his grace that they couldn't help but write it down and sing it out. There's something about singing that makes us happy, isn't there? You know what I mean? When you're in the car and you're driving along and your jam comes on the radio, you know what I'm talking about? You know, if you're 70 today, maybe it's Elvis Presley. You ain't nothing but a hound dog, crying all the time. Peter's happy. If you're in your 60s, it might be the Beatles. I want to hold your hand. I want to hold your hand. I dedicate that to my wife. She's up in kids' church this morning. Maybe if in your 50s, it might be Diana Ross. Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no river wide enough, I'm pretty good, eh, to keep me from getting to you, babe. Dedicate that to my wife as well. If you're in your 40s, it might be, we're on a highway. That's not dedicated to my wife. 
make that really clear. If you're in your 30s, hit me, baby, one more time. Might be a bit of Britney Spears. If you're in your 20s, well, they stop making good music. So you've got no idea what I'm talking about. And this sermon illustration kind of falls down with you. Now, I don't know if you're aware, but I have a bit of a special anointing when it comes to singing. You've seen a glimpse of it this morning. Um, but I call it the shower anointing. Uh, when I get in the shower and I turn the water on, uh, it's like angels come into the room and it's incredibly amazing. Please don't visualize that this morning. And please don't ask him because it only happens when she's not there. It's a bit like our friend Braden, who's just gone overseas yesterday. And earlier in the year, he got a hole-in-one when he was playing golf by himself. Now, we all know that doesn't count, don't we? That, that doesn't count. And you might thinking, well, my singing doesn't count either, but this is different. It counts. There's a special anointing when I'm in the shower, and it's wonderful. And the point of all this, and you're probably thinking, yes, Luke, what is the point? The point is that singing often evokes joy or even flows from a sense of joy in our hearts. Singing makes me happy even if no one around me wants to hear my voice or understands true talent when they see it. But I was thinking about that this week in Zechariah's song, and what I was thinking is this, that our lives should sing a song to the people around us. It makes me think about uh, our musical worship when we gather together. And let me give you a really simple theological truth today. We can be standing and singing on the front row with our hands lifted high, and it can be an amazing time. But I want to tell you that it doesn't matter whether you're on the front row or you're on the very, very back row of the auditorium, it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't mean that now that I've walked 17 metres down the back, that I'm 17 metres further away from God. Isn't that right, Dave? Excellent. You picked the wrong place to sit today. But I'm here, and it doesn't mean I'm 17 metres further away from God. If I come forward, it doesn't mean that I'm now five metres closer to God. I might be closer, uh, further away from the platform, but we don't worship people on the platform, do we? We worship God. Hey, guys. Oh, yeah. So it's really good, isn't it, to, to remember that God is the same wherever we are in this auditorium. He's the same God if we're at work. He's the same God. Craig's nervous next. I'm coming towards him. He's the same God if we're at home. He's the same God when we're in our family. He's the same God in good times and in bad times. And he's an incredible God. And so if he's an incredible God and we believe the lyrics that we sing, that we are singing to the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords, and the name above every other name, that we're singing to the God who holds the universe in the palm of his hands. If we're singing to the God, the same God who died on the cross in our place and holds the key to eternal life. If we're singing to the same God who promises forgiveness and freedom and joy unceasing, the same God who wraps around his arms in unconditional love towards us, then let me tell you what worship won't look like. It won't look like this. It won't look like this. Another song. Surely, if we are worshipping the God that we believe we are worshipping, He has done so much for us. Surely we can lift our hands. Surely we can bow our knees. Surely we can sing our lungs out. Surely we can be passionate. Surely we can turn up on time. Surely we can smile and engage with God because if anyone's worth it, it's Jesus Christ. If anyone's worthy of our... Uh, you know, unbelievable praise and worship, then surely it's Jesus. And if we can do it at a footy game, then we can do it when we gather together and praise him. 
Wouldn't it be awesome if one day people from our church were so passionate that they started writing down lyrics that are flowing from the Word of God, flowing from their heart, and one day we started singing songs that people from our own church wrote just because their love for God couldn't be contained and they had to write it down and sing it out. Who knows what the future holds? What I do know is this. Psalm 96 verse 1 says, Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. You know, in Luke chapter 19, Jesus had the triumphal entry. He's riding in on a donkey. And it's amazing as he's riding in, all the disciples are gathered there. And as we read that passage, we see a spontaneous worship service start to happen. I mean, people just start to cry out their praises to God. It's a beautiful thing. They start to worship Jesus. And it says, The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praising God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But some of the Pharisees rebuked them. And they said, teacher, Jesus, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. All creation is is created to bring glory to God. We are created to worship him in every area of our lives. And so worship in every area of our lives should flow from an immense gratitude for all that God has done for us in the past, for all that he is doing in the present, and for all that he has promised to do in the future. Let me say that again. Worship in every area of our lives should flow from an immense gratitude for all that God has done for us in the past, for all that he is doing for us in the present, and for all that he has promised to do for us in the future. Our lives, church, should sing a song to those around us, and that's the title of the message today. As our favourite jam on the radio lifts our spirits, our lives should lift people's eyes to the Saviour who we love and serve. In this passage, Zechariah expresses his praise and adoration in song. I read a commentary this week and it said these words. In the hymn of praise, Zechariah gathers together echoes of the Old Testament and then he fuses them to a new outpouring of jubilant hope and faith. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? A couple of weeks ago, when we were first introduced to Zechariah, uh, he was anything but the man that we're reading about now. He was, the Bible said, gripped with fear. He was a man filled with fear and doubt. He was afraid of the angel that had just appeared to him with these amazing promises. And he had very big doubts that that God could actually do what he said he was going to do and that his barren wife could bear a child. And so what's the difference now? Just a little while further down the track, why is he so different? Well, it's right there in the text. He's no longer filled with fear but verse 67 says Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. Big difference. You know, in our lives, the devil will always try to sow seeds of fear. Always trying to get us to be people who are fearful. The Bible says he's the deceiver. He's the father of lies. He often tries to convince us that that God's not faithful, that he's not able, that he doesn't want the best for us, that we're hopeless, that God could never use me, that there's no chance of a breakthrough, that there's no future for us, that we're alone, that nobody cares. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to redirect us back to Jesus and to remind us of the many blessings that we have in him, that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And so the devil wants us to live in fear, but the Holy Spirit wants to fill us with faith. So the question this morning is, what areas of your life are you currently fearful in? 
Is it got something to do with your kids? Is it something to do with your relationships? Maybe it's something in your faith. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your VCE results tomorrow. Maybe you're fearful for the future. Whatever those areas are in your life, I want to encourage you today to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you afresh this morning and to redirect, to re-navigate, to reroute you from fear to a place of faith, knowing that he works all things together for good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose, that as we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he'll take care of our needs. The first sermon in this series I concluded by putting forward the idea that Zechariah, at the start of the book, had no problem looking back and seeing that God had been faithful. But he failed to look forward and believe that God was able. But in this passage, it's all changed. He's moved from fear to faith. Now, as we look at the passage this morning, the song, it can be broken down into two main parts. The first part is verses 68 to 75. Let me read it to you. It says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said that he would through the holy prophets long ago. He has brought us salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. He's shown mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now, if I was to sum up those first few verses in the first half of the song, I would sum it up by saying that he's looking back and he's reminding himself that God has been faithful, that God is faithful to his word and God is faithful to his promises. And so this song, in some regards, is an overflow of Zechariah's gratitude for God's incredible faithfulness. But the second half of the song, from verses 76 to 80, it kind of shifts from the past to the future. And if I was to sum up what he's saying in the second half of the song, he's actually saying, God, you're not only faithful, but God, you're also able. And the thing that's changed for him is that by the time we get to this stage in the narrative, we already see that the miraculous has happened in his life. The things he doubted, the things he was fearful about have already happened. He's seen it with his own eyes. His barren wife has given birth to a son. The womb of a virgin has conceived a child. And he's seen it right in front of his own eyes. He's seen his circumstances that seemed impossible have become possible. And his faith has been restored. And now he's standing in the power of the Holy Spirit declaring, God, you are able. You're able. I've seen it in my own eyes. I've seen it in my own circumstances. And I believe that you are able to do all that you have promised. And so it's a song of gratitude, but it's also a song of incredible faith. And I believe it's the same faith that God wants us to have, personally, in our own lives, in all areas of life, but also for us as a church, as we look back and say, God, you're faithful, but as we look forward and say, God, you are able to do what you are calling us to do in this region. In the first part of the song, you'll notice a a lot of military kind of talk, a lot of battle kind of talk. Verse 69, he's raised up a horn of salvation for us. Verse 71, we have salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Verse 74, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him. I think as we read that language, it's a reminder and it kind of reflects the expectation of the people in that time. The first week I talked about how God's people in that particular time were waiting for the Messiah and they had a picture in their head of what the Messiah was meant to be like. 
In their mind, he was going to be a strong political and a strong military leader. And they thought that when this guy grew up, he would lead God's people against uh, the rule of Herod, but more importantly, to overthrow the rule of Rome, the oppression of Rome. And they believed that they would, this guy would lead them in an amazing victory where Rome would be overthrown and they would establish the kingdom of God on earth. And so this was their expectation. It was their focus. It was their hope. But what they failed to understand is they had a greater need, a much greater need than political freedom. They needed forgiveness for their sins. They needed a saviour. These people saw themselves as the righteous ones, but they had little or no conception of their own spiritual need. And we know that's what the Messiah, Jesus, primarily came from, came for. He said he came to seek and save the lost. Another commentary this week, it said this, Although there may be a reference here to political liberation, something far more glorious is meant. The wholehearted service of the Lord in complete freedom from all bonds of sin, guilt, punishment, curse, Satan and destruction. And so in the second half of the song, the nature of this Messiah is actually revealed and we get a snapshot of the Messiah that they should have actually been expecting. Now the second half of the song starts with Zechariah talking about his own son, John the Baptist. Now up until this point, the whole song has been about Jesus. In fact, every song, every verse in this song is about Jesus except this one, which is about his son. Now how do we know this? Well, in verse uh, 69, it says that he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now Zechariah was not a descendant of David, he was a descendant of Aaron. But Jesus was a descendant of David. So it's very clear that in this song, it's primarily talking about the birth of Christ. But in this one verse, he takes a break and he talks about his own son. Now we know from week one that John was called to be a forerunner. He was to go ahead of Jesus, to prepare the way, to prepare the hearts of the people for Jesus' coming. And so in this verse, verse 76, John actually speaks that out in faith. The very thing he doubted just a little while before is now coming to pass and he boldly speaks out under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about his son. He says, you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And then for the rest of the song, he goes back to what Jesus is going to achieve. And there's four main things that he talks about. He says, Jesus is going to save. He's going to forgive. He's going to bring light into the darkness of our hearts and he's going to guide us into the path of peace. There's some incredible promises in this passage. And what we're seeing here is the ultimate realization of some promises he made thousands of years ago to a guy called Abraham. Now we've talked about Abraham quite a bit since we started here at Follow because he's a pivotal character in uh, salvation history. And in this passage, it once again mentions him. If we look at verse 72, God has done all this to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Now, if you've read the Gospel of Matthew, you will know the first chapter in that Gospel is basically a genealogy, which is a bit like a family tree. Now, you probably know it's there because you've inconveniently skipped over it every time you get to the Gospel of Matthew, because it's not really riveting reading, and you kind of pick it up in chapter 2, and some of you are looking a bit guilty this morning, so I know that's what you do. But it's actually really quite important that we read it, 
Because as we look at this genealogy, this family tree, we see God's faithfulness throughout all the generations. And as we look at this genealogy, it actually starts with this character, Abraham. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac and Jacob, and then it has a stack more generations, and then we see King David, and then it has a stack more generations, and then it see, we see Joseph and Mary, and eventually the birth of Christ. And so it's, it's a pretty amazing thing to read, to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. But at the back, at the very start of this family tree with Abraham, God actually made some pretty incredible promises to him. He said, Abraham, I'm choosing you, I'm calling you, you are going to be a great nation. He says, I am going to bless you and you will be a blessing to all peoples on earth. Now, I believe as Christians that we are blessed people. We're blessed in little ways, we're blessed in big ways, particularly in salvation. But I also believe we're called to follow in the footsteps of Abraham. That we are people who are blessed, not just so that we can hoard blessing for ourselves, but so that we can be a blessing to the world around us by caring for the poor, by loving our neighbour, by being um, people who share the gospel, by living kingdom lives of generosity and sacrifice and mercy and unconditional love. And if we li- as we live those kind of lives, we will actually bless the world around us and make a difference in our world. But the ultimate blessing is not found in what we can do. But rather, ultimate blessing is found in what Christ has already done. And this is what I love, that he makes these promises to Abraham and he shows that he's still faithful thousands of years later. And I think the Christmas story reminds us that all things are possible with him and that started when God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Now what really blows me away about this passage is when we think about what happened between Abraham and Jesus. So God makes all these incredible promises to Abraham, but then we see all these generations pass before those promises are fulfilled in Christ. And it's pretty amazing to see what happens in between. As we look at these generations, we see that God's people were constantly unfaithful. Constantly, over and over again, generation after generation. They were rebellious. They were disobedient. They worshipped false idols. They did their own thing. They walked away from God over and over again. They were unfaithful. Now, unfaithfulness is a, a terrible thing. Just recently, I was at a function with Kim, and um, I introduced her to a lady I know. And in, as part of the introduction, I said, this lady here is married to that man over there. I said, her, said their names, obviously. And um, as I said that, I looked back at the lady who I was introducing to Kim, and as I looked back at her, her eyes welled up with tears. And she looked at me and she said, didn't you know, Luke? And I said, know what? And she said, about three months ago, my husband left me. And I found out that he's been sleeping with another woman for two years. As she said it, I felt like my heart broke right there. And I looked at her, and as I looked at her, this righteous anger sort of built up from inside of me, this righteous anger, and I walked over and I punched him. No, I didn't really. (laughs) That would be unrighteous anger. I'd be doing what I wanted to do, but not what I meant to do. Uh, This righteous anger welled up, and I thought to myself, how can this guy be so unfaithful to his wife, but not only that, walk away from his family and not show any sign of being sorry about what he's done? No sign of repentance whatsoever. This guy has been a Christian for years and for years and for years. And these are the things that should grieve our hearts as Christians. But as I was thinking about this guy, it reminded me of how God must feel with me so often. So often I'm unfaithful to him. 
So often I walk away. So often I disobey. So often I put other things above him and make them more important. So often I live my life like I am the most important person on the planet. And I think to myself, how would God feel with me? We've been disobedient. It's the same with these people. Even though these generations were unfaithful, God proves himself to be faithful to his word. He looks at these generations, he said, you have been unfaithful over and over and over again, but despite that, I am still faithful to my promises. And it reminds me, and it's such an encouragement, that the promises of God are not reliant on how good or bad we've been. They're reliant on the character of God. And God's character is that he is absolutely faithful. It's who he is. It's what his character reflects. And so as we read this passage today, it should hit us pretty hard that all the blessings that are promised in this passage don't come about because we deserve it. They don't come about because we've earned it in any way. We have fallen short of God's standard in so many ways. And so when this passage talks about the fact that in Christ we're saved, that we're forgiven, that the light of Christ can shine into the darkness of our hearts, that he will guide us into the path of peace. We know that none of this has come about because of anything we've done, but simply because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The undeserved love he's poured into our heart, or as this passage puts it in verse 78, the tender mercy of our God. Our God is incredible, church. And when that truth grips our heart, it should drive us to our knees in praise as it did with Zechariah. You know, if you're a Christian here today, if you've given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're actually a living testimony of Zechariah's prophetic song in this passage. He looked forward and he declared what Christ would accomplish. And now you and I sit here today in Christ forgiven, in Christ saved, in Christ living in the light of Christ, in Christ experiencing his peace. We are living testimonies of what Zechariah saw with the eye of faith thousands of years ago. And in the same way, we are located in a place of history sitting here today in Christ. And I believe that he wants us to look forward with the eye of faith and believe and trust that there are people right now that live in this region that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that God is going to use us as a church and as individuals to reach those people. And as we look forward with the eye of faith, we're going to start to see and believe that there are people there that are going to be saved. That's so exciting. That's why we exist as a church. And so I want to ask you some questions this morning. Are you looking forward with the eye of faith? Do we have the same trust in God that Zechariah demonstrates in this song? Are we praying and believing for our pre-Christian friends to come to know the Lord? Are our lives a song of Jesus to the world around us? Michael Frost in his new book called Surprise the World puts forward the idea that as Christians we should live questionable lives. Now I don't mean questionable in dodgy terms, that we live dodgy, dodgy lives of people are going, oh, what are they up to? I'm talking about living questionable lives that are radically different as we serve people, as we love people, as we're generous, as we're faithful, as we honour God in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, that people would look at us and they would sort of scratch their head and start to ask questions. Uh, who is this Jesus that you talk about? Why do you live the life you live? Why do you do the things you do? And I think the reason that we can live those kind of lives is kind of summed up in verse 74. It says, God has enabled us to serve him without fear, in holiness 
and righteousness before him all our days. I want you to get this sentence for a second. That God has enabled us to serve him without fear, being holy and righteous. The truth is this, that most of us won't get through the rest of the day without sinning. I was going to play golf this afternoon, and if I had have played golf, I definitely wouldn't have got through this day without sinning, because that stupid ball will not go in the hole. (laughs) And I get quite angry about it. And yet in Christ, even though we constantly make mistakes, Scripture teaches that our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. That on the cross, he paid the penalty that you and I deserve to pay. That our sins were taken from us. And in a relationship with God, they were placed on Jesus at the cross. And he becomes sin on our behalf and he paid the penalty. The wrath of God for all the things we've done wrong was not poured out on us, it's poured out on him. And in turn, he hands us his righteousness. And we live in the righteousness of Christ. And so when God looks at us, he doesn't see hopeless sinners. He doesn't see people who fall short. He sees the righteousness of his own son. Let me tell you, church, that's a glorious truth. That's an amazing truth. That is the gospel. That's amazing grace, that we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus did. And as we approach his throne, we receive mercy and we find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is the game changer. Because of what he did, we can freely live our lives for him. And if we truly get this, we will be transformed by the love of Jesus. We will be transformed by his life, his death, and his resurrection, and it will change everything in our lives. And so the question I want to leave you with today is this. What does the song of your life communicate to people around you? Is it fear or faith? Is it apathy or passion? Is it selfishness or sacrifice? Because if our lives have been transformed by Jesus, then serving will no longer be an obligation but an incredible joy. Giving will be no longer a little bit of coin in a bucket, but it will be sacrificially sowing into a kingdom. Our dreams will no longer be self-centered, but they will be kingdom-saturated. Our time will no longer be spent on our own wants and our own selfish needs, but it will be leveraged towards blessing others. Our thoughts will no longer be me, 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 but they'll be directed towards God. Our lives should sing a song to the world around us. If your life was a song on the radio this afternoon, by the end of the song, would people be switching it off or would they be turning it up louder? I pray that the song of our lives would communicate to the world around us that Jesus is awesome in every way. Zechariah overflowed with praise to God for the gift of his son, Jesus. As he looked back, he reminded himself that God was faithful. As he looked forward, he declared, God is able. And let's sing that same song together as a congregation this week in every area of our lives. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that you uh, have done something spectacular in our lives. Lord, we fall short. We make mistakes. We sin. None of us are exempt from that. And we know that it's our sin that separates us from a holy God. But we also know that in Christ, as he stretched out his hands and said, it is finished, he took our sin upon himself and he paid the punishment that needed to be paid for that sin. Lord, we thank you in return that we receive his righteousness, that we can be saved and have the hope of eternal life.
Lord, I pray that we would live in confidence because of that. And I pray that we would share this glorious good news with everyone we meet. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.